0: Hello, and welcome to the new and improved Witch Hut. I'm your host, Chelsea Martinez, and I'm here to talk about all things witchy. Today, I want to try something new that I'm pretty excited about. I've decided that once a month I'm going to do a review episode and I'll pick a witchcraft related book and share my thoughts. I'm only going to review things that I genuinely like and would recommend, so if you hear about it from me, it's because I found the book valuable. I kind of waffled on that a little because I do think criticism can be helpful and it's just as useful to be steered away from books that aren't worth your time. But ultimately, I don't want to give a negative review to something that's just not meant for me. I've also decided that when I do these monthly reviews, I'm going to kick things off by talking about the not witchy books, shows, or podcasts that I enjoyed the previous month. I wasn't sure if this was the direction I wanted to go, but the more that I thought about how witches are often seen as constantly engaged in the mystical, the more that I felt like I wanted to be more transparent. I can be a spiritually passionate person and also maintain interests outside of that. While I don't think that every content creator needs to actively demonstrate that they're a well-rounded individual, the thing about witchcraft is that a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome and feeling like everyone else is a better witch than they are. I think that it's important that enthusiasm for spirituality does not overwhelm your ability to enjoy your human experience. So to that end, I'm going to make it a point to demonstrate that I am also having a human experience as well as a spiritual one. This month, I read Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, and I have been obsessed with it ever since. It's about life after society has collapsed due to a pandemic, so it's not going to be for everyone, but something about it was kind of comforting in a way. I found that my taste in fiction has changed a lot, and that a lot of books that I would have really liked at one point now feel kind of unrelatable in this post-pan world, and Station Eleven was a good answer for that dilemma. It's a different type of dystopian novel, and the focus is much more on how art outlasts the end of the world. I finished the book and immediately watched the miniseries on HBO Max, and I would also recommend that. It's different enough from the book that I feel comfortable saying you could take them in back to back and not feel bored, but similar enough that the show satisfied my need for more after I finished the book. Apparently, it was catastrophe month for me because I'm going to recommend an audio drama called Aftershock. The premise is that a major earthquake hits the west coast, and as a lifelong Californian, that is a pretty scary prospect. I think what keeps this from being just unmitigated nightmare fuel is that the premise is not on California after being leveled by an earthquake, and most of the story takes place on a mysterious island that suddenly surfaced out of the ocean. As an aside, I've only been listening to audio dramas for a little less than a year, and I absolutely love the format. A lot of my problem with watching things, like with my eyes, is that I have to have my hands busy, so if something requires my eyes to never wander from the screen, I miss a lot of the movie. But you don't have to look with your eyes if it's an audio drama, and the really good ones have great acting and very well-designed sound effects, so they're still very immersive. And last but not least, I've also started rewatching My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is absolutely hilarious. It's about a woman who moves to West Covina, California to stalk her ex, and it's a very funny musical series. Before we get into our book review, we obviously have to talk about the moon. There is a full moon in Leo coming up on the 16th of this month. I had picked up DJ Conway's book, Moon Magic, last year, and I know I read from it on a previous episode, which I really enjoyed and would like to continue to do as we follow the moon throughout the year. All of this comes from Moon Magic, and I haven't done any other research or fact-checking, so this isn't like a strict mythology lesson. It's just for fun, and hopefully it might give you some inspiration if you want to celebrate the moon but you aren't sure how. February's full moon is called the ice moon, and it can also be known as the storm moon, the hunger moon, the wild moon, the quickening moon, or the big winter moon. In many cultures, February is a time for purification and cleansing, not just of one's own body and environment, but also any property boundary lines. The idea is not to launch quickly into new activity, but to prepare to do so. The actions you're taking during this process might seem invisible because they happen beneath the surface and won't yield visible results until later. This also makes February a good time for initiations and also to rededicate yourself to any deities you worship. During February, you can prepare for rebirth. This can be seen with Imbolc and also with the Greek Festival of the Returning Daughter and the Roman Lupercalia. Now is a good time to accept responsibility for past mistakes, forgive yourself, and make plans for the future. If you want to make some plans specifically for the Ice Moon, it would be ideal to focus on healing and preparing to move on to whatever comes next. Moon Magic the Book also includes recipes and information on different holidays throughout the month, so if that's something you're interested in, I would really recommend checking it out because there's a lot in there that I can't cover today. But, what I will leave you with is the myth of Selene and Endymion. The Greek goddess Selene was the sister of Helios the Sun and Eos the Dawn. She was one of the children of the titans Hyperion and Theia. Although she began as a separate deity, Selene was later identified with Artemis, and particularly the Roman Diana who ruled over the moon. As a moon goddess, Selene was noted for her liaisons with humans or gods, but she did not allow herself to become attached. When she became fascinated with the handsome shepherd Endymion, she began to shirk her nightly duty of guiding the moon through the heavens. This came to the attention of the other gods, who became suspicious of Selene's unusual behavior. They noticed that Selene's chariot was often missing from its heavenly path, Night after night, the goddess sat beside the sleeping youth, gently kissing him and creeping into his dream. Finally, Zeus decided that something had to be done. Selene was neglecting her duty and becoming excessively pale from her nightly rendezvous with the shepherd. Zeus called Endymion to him and gave the young man a choice, death in any manner he chose or eternal sleep during which he would not age. Endymion chose to sleep. It is said that in a Carian cave on Mount Latmos, Endymion still sleeps and Selene still steals away from her nightly rounds to visit him. While Selene sits with her sleeping shepherd, the moon begins to fade away until it is totally gone. When she returns to her duties, the moon begins to grow again until it reaches full. Even though Endymion sleeps and only sees the moon goddess in his dreams, tradition says she has borne him 50 daughters which side note is is not okay <laughs> the generic name of the bluebell endymion shows its association with selene's lover endymion symbolizes the sleeping part of the human mind the unidentifiable something that is influenced by the phases of the moon particularly in dreams As Endymion created 50 daughters with Selene during his sleep, so we are fertilized with creative ideas during our receptive resting periods, whether this be in dreams, meditation, or daydreaming. Today, I'm reviewing The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft by Firelight. I do want to state that between my starting the book and writing this script out, Firelight announced that he is stepping away from that identity And I'm almost positive he's just going by his legal name now, which is Don Martin. That being said, the book was published under Firelight, so that's the name I'll use. Firelight is also a podcaster, and so of course I listened to a couple episodes of his podcast in order to see if I would recommend it or not. But at the same time he announced his name change, he also announced that the direction of his podcast will be changing. At the moment of this recording, He relaunched literally yesterday, so I have not listened just yet, but his old episodes will stay up under the new name, Head on Fire, and I can say that I absolutely recommend those episodes. There are a lot of really excellent interviews with magical people that maybe you haven't heard. So, I recently read The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft by Firelight. I was initially not interested in the book because it is specifically meant for beginners and I found that most of the beginner's books may begin with a unique premise but will typically be made up mostly of the same information. At this point, I'd rather not buy a book that I'm only going to skim 70% of because it's mostly lists of correspondences and spells which may or may not be useful for me. But what changed my mind about The Dabbler's Guide is that it is meant to be something different, and it really is. This is the first book on witchcraft that I have read that truly puts practicality first, and while it's written for a beginner, I really think that every witch should read it. The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft is a guidebook on how to explore magic in a way that is safe, considerate, and realistic. There are chapters on how pop culture shapes the exciting but ultimately incorrect idea of what a witch really is and also on how to navigate the magical world while still being respectful of closed practices and avoiding appropriation of things that are not intended to be borrowed by Dabbler. There is also a heavy emphasis on actively seeking to maintain a skeptical mindset and trying to disprove your magical theories with science. I personally consider myself an open-minded skeptic and I really appreciate the idea that we should be trying to test and disprove magic in order to figure out what is truly just explicable science and what is really something beyond that. There is also a lot of health and safety information in the book, which I was so thrilled to see. Often, a spell might recommend that you do something that is not safe like consume something that is not proven to be safe for consumption, and I love that Firelight calls this out and reminds you to put your safety above your desire to fulfill a witchy fantasy. I also appreciate the advice given for how to approach financial concerns with regards to your magical practice. There's a lot to love about this book, but I will say it's not entirely immune to the listicle chapters issue. I did get about 60% of the way through the book before finding anything to skim through, and even the sections organized into lists are more well-written than what I typically see. Firelight is very funny and articulate, and while I personally skimmed through some of the later chapters, I don't necessarily think you would have to skim anything if you are truly coming into this as a beginner. I really love how he handles the requisite selection of spells at the back of the book. You're given templates for spells which can be customized and used for many different purposes, which I think is brilliant and very practical. Firelight himself is around the same age as I am, and I really enjoyed reading the perspective of someone who remembers what it was like trying to find resources in the 90s and the early 2000s. This is the beginner's book that I desperately needed at the time. And I think the lack of a book meant to encourage you to think critically is something that pulled me away from spirituality for a time. So while I recommend this book for everyone, because I believe we all need to think critically, I can be a little more specific. You aren't going to learn about magical traditions or what a sabbat is or anything like that. And there are tons of books out there to teach you about those things. But you should read this book on how to practice magic in the real world and then go read about crystal healing or Samhain or whatever else it is that you're curious about. It might not sound exciting to start with your practical concerns, and I understand that no one is getting into witchcraft because they're just thrilled with how the real world is treating them, but you will get so much more out of your practice from the beginning and if you start with a foundation of healthy skepticism and practicality. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would rate this book a solid 9. It's unlike any other book on witchcraft I've read, and I genuinely feel that it is exactly what is needed in the community. I felt that although the quality of the book stayed fairly consistent, the last 40-ish percent didn't knock my socks off the same way that the first 60% did. That being said, I do feel like anyone of any experience level should read The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft because there are a lot of things here that need to be said and don't often come up. And in the spirit of The Dabbler's Guide, I'm going to share my own tips for dabbler. The best advice I can give is that when you find something you're interested in adding to your practice, you should learn about things related to it. Often, you might see something as an action that intrigues you, but without understanding the spiritual background of that practice, you won't really be experiencing it in the way it's meant to be experienced. Learning about something on a deeper level than just how it's done will also help you to figure out if it's really for you or not. There are a lot of really beautiful practices that happen to be part of spiritualities that aren't open to outsiders. And rather than just trying to copy and paste things from that religion, it's better to move on and find something else that you're able to experience the way you're meant to. And the best way to do that is to really dive deep into the things that interest you. I also recommend investing in knowledge over accoutrement if you are on a budget. Buying one tarot deck and three books is going to get you further along than buying one book and three tarot decks. Similarly, you can spend tons of money on all the supplies you've heard you will need, but unless you know what to do with them, you're not going to develop as quickly as a witch. Thirdly, consume as much information as you want, but do so with a critical eye. Not everyone is going to have done as much learning as maybe they should have before they decided to start trying to teach. And a lot of the time you can end up in a situation where beginners are teaching other beginners who don't yet realize that just because someone has been a witch for a little bit longer, they might not be the expert they're painting themselves to be. It's also important to listen to your gut. If something is sitting wrong with you when you hear someone talk or you read their work, maybe that means that their work isn't for you. And finally, Don't be afraid to revisit things that at one point didn't resonate with you. I used to really dislike the Thoth tarot deck, and eventually I came to really love it. Over time, I grew a deeper understanding of tarot and why the symbolism of the Thoth is so significant, and what used to look like weird modern art with garish colors and creepy figures became something beautiful and expressive with a rich history and a lot of value as a tool. As you grow, your tastes may change, or possibly your idea of what is valuable and special will grow to include things that you didn't like at a first This week, I'm using the Tarot of Mystical Moments. This is a very pretty, dreamy deck which has kind of an antique theme and kind of a collage art look. It's also a very feminine deck and many of the traditionally masculine cards have alternative cards made with feminine figures, so you can choose which version you want to use. Our card this week is the Six of Swords, which is highly appropriate for an episode talking about the Dabblers Guide. For me, this card means that you're going to gain new knowledge and insight. This is very positive, But in the moment, it may be difficult or painful. Often, a journey to learning requires transformation, which brings us some metaphorical death feelings because you may have to give up the comfort of ignorance in order to step into awakened wisdom. If you're becoming aware in ways that make you uncomfortable, just remember there's something beyond this moment. Thank you so much for joining me here in the Witch Hut. You can follow the podcast on Instagram, at the Witch Hut pod, and you can also follow me at Pigeon Sauvage. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and magical.